Theatre Podcast, episode number six. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Beginner's Call Theatre Podcast. I hope you've all had a good week and welcome back. This week I'm joined by Adam Morley for a very interesting discussion about all things theatre, including a really great opportunity that he has created with his team for graduates leaving drama school and university this year and growing into the future for the next five years potentially. So you'll get to hear all about that in this week's podcast. Also, We've added a new social media to our ever-growing list of ways to contact us. The Beginner's Call Theatre podcast is now on LinkedIn, so you can check us out on there. You can get in contact with us on there, and you can see all the stuff that we post on all of our social media channels will also be on LinkedIn as well. But without further ado, let's get into episode six of the Beginner's Call Theatre podcast. Enjoy. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're doing good. All good, Toby. Thank you for having me. No worries. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. I think it'll be really interesting this week to hear from you. Um, as usual, every week on the podcast, we give the guests uh, 30 seconds just to talk about themselves, their experience in theatre, and sort of what they do in theatre. So I'll give the floor to you sort of for 30 seconds. Uh, tell everyone uh, what you do and how you work in theatre. Oh, 30 seconds to say a lifetime's work, which is quite easy, actually. It's, yeah, I, I make theatre, so I direct, produce, do some writing, and work with networks to develop opportunity, look for positivity in the arts, and create a level playing field for all. Perfect, thank you, that was great. Uh, one of the things that has drawn me to bring you on as a guest into this podcast is one of your most recent projects which is acting act uh which is a new project you're looking to do for sort of graduates and things like that so would yeah uh, again it's sort of another one of opening the floor to you tell us a bit about acting out its purpose and then if people are interested that are listening and want to get involved and how they can get involved in that is this another 30 seconds thing no I have all the time you <laughs> want. Ages now, have we? all right good yeah acting out it's it was born because of COVID-19. So obviously the apocalypse happened and we were all overnight unemployed, which isn't easy for anyone. And there are lots of groups who've been affected by this. So I had to make a choice at, at that early stage, when we're talking about March and going into April, about what I could do to support people through this period. Uh, I'm lucky, Toby, I've had a career. So if it's over, it's over. Um, I don't want it to be over, but at least I've had moments. And for a lot of these graduates, they simply haven't. All of this has been taken away from them before they got a chance to do anything. They've lost their industry facing showcases, their final productions. You add to that, that you've got a lot of these kids, I'm sorry, I don't mean to patronize them uh, and call them kids, but you, you've got a lot of them who come from poorer backgrounds or minority groups aren't in one of the top five or six drama schools or conservatoires in the country. So they're, they're canon fodder. It was already so difficult for them. It became virtually impossible. And I don't feel that we should abandon them. I don't feel that they, they are the price to pay so that other elements of the industry get to survive. Who makes that decision? Who, who gets to choose that it's like with the bailout the the money great brilliant it's too late but that aside who gets to choose where it goes at what point what's the criteria how does that work and just because you didn't go to a rada or a lambda or a bristol there's nothing wrong with those schools there's nothing great to go there it's not a criticism of them but just because you didn't go to one of those does that mean you don't deserve a chance does does that mean you shouldn't count because you come from a poorer background. I'm not saying that there aren't working class people at the top drama schools, universities, but by virtue of the fact that they have limited numbers of places and we are offering all of these places, which, I mean, that's a wider conversation to have, I suppose. We can't just abandon them because the money's gone. And I found that a lot of them suddenly were left dangling in the wind. I think, well, 
normally their education gets tied up in a little bow with a showcase or a show. And you take that away, you replace it with inadequate Zoom um, or other providers, uh, workshops and classes and sessions, which are essentially meaningless because the format isn't great. We can't replace theatre with it because it's not good theatre. I mean, it's not good telly either. It, it's a, a technology we've had to adopt faster than we would have normally. And then we're like, off you go. Um, no. So whilst there's lots of groups that have real struggles in this period, and I have a great deal of sympathy, I, uh, for me, the focus became then because I was literally working with them at that point. I was doing a showcase at Trinity Laban Conservatoire, and it was like that gone overnight. The last piece of theatre I saw was a showcase at the London College of Music, which again, overnight, everything shut down. So that's why acting out happened. Yeah. So tell us a bit about its purpose and what you're looking to do with acting out and where you see it going and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, its purpose is essentially a vehicle of hope. And I, I know that sounds really corny, I, but so what? We need it. We need, we need a bit of hope. We need a bit of bridging between training and sustainability in the industry, which doesn't exist in a meaningful way. And the idea is that we, and we're already doing it, we started doing some mentoring schemes. So we have 75 of the participants. We signed 300 up, which is what we thought we had capacity to deal with. 75 have been mentored, which has been going really well and delighted with the industry response. We've had a call out for scripts. So we've had 200 script submissions. We've taken on graduate creatives and we've been offering a series of masterclasses. Uh, that's the first phase. The second phase is some showcases. So we're doing one with Karen Edwards at Arts Ed and Taylor Walker, the choreographer for dance students. And that's dance and poetry combined. That's being filmed at the moment. It will be out in um, September 2020 um, again about hope and to say that there are different communities within the performing arts as dancers there's there's musical theater there's acting and none are being forgotten about and the idea is with the dance thing that that will be a template that can be used so other people can copy it and we can support them on their journey we're then doing a showcase in London. Now, I wasn't successful in Arts Council uh, getting my funding for, for the project, for the R&D phase of the project. So I got some lovely responses from people. And a couple of them were, were, were quite serious and large venues who have come in and stepped up. Quite short notice. So that's going to be fun. But again, <laughs> we're, we're going to do an industry-facing showcase for people in, in, in London in a, in a top venue which I can't go into details yet, which one it is. Yeah, um, that's fine. Um, and then next year, we're going to commit to produce five of the shows that have been submitted to us. So from the 200, we've got, we're filled it down to 50. The 50 are going to go into an R&D process, and we're going to audition the 300 participants. Anyone who wants to audition for the process is then welcome to then be a paid participant in the research and development phase. From that, we'll create the rep company that will operate for a year and do five shows across that year. And all, all of it paid every step of the way. So it's been a labor of love. And I've had a team, a team of five of us in total, all volunteers. And that's been, it's been amazing to have the sort of support and outreach that we've had. And there've been lots of other similar schemes going on, which I'm delighted with. Although one of them sent me an angry email um, <laughs> at one point. We were like, yes, you're stealing our thunder. And I was like, are there not enough? Are there not enough people that could do with help? Yeah. Um, we don't have social media. We're not bothering with any of that because it, it takes too long to manage. And it takes away. We're, we're busy. So whatever spare time we have, I don't want to deal with an Instagram page. I, I want that time to deal with something more tangible. That, that will actually make a difference to someone. I'm not saying that social media is a bad thing, but it, it takes up an inordinate amount of time. I'm sure you're, you're a fan of the podcast. Yeah. You, need, you need to promote these things, and we can do that effectively without needing to do something like that. Uh, you know, people, very quickly early on, yeah. I um, passed on the social media to uh, my friend Chris. So Chris is the one that runs all the social media, because, yeah, trying to do both at the same time is incredibly difficult. 
It's impossible, right? It, it just takes up so much time. And, and then you're doing half-assed jobs of both things as opposed to one full-assed job of, 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 of that. So, um, so the next phase is we've got a couple of shows that we are casting exclusively for the students that have signed up. Uh, the showcase, so casting details will be going out about that fairly soon. We have immersive winter experiences, which is replacing Panto, and that's going on with a hotel group across the UK, which will again provide employment opportunities. And this is what we're looking to do is the traditional employer for a lot of graduates was theatre and education and Panto. And then, I, and I mean corporate Panto, I mean applied theatre Panto, not your big um, glitzy show, which did employ some people, but not at the same amount as some of these other things. So again, looking to replace that entry point, because for a lot of these graduates, because there's no connection between what is their education and then the first steps in their career, that first job was critical because it taught them so much. And again, that's gone. So that's another blow to their futures and their progress. So that's again what we're looking to do. Nice. That I mean, yeah, that all sounds amazing. Uh, there's so much stuff going on. Um, is it something you think is this a one-off, or are you hoping that this is a sustainable model that can be rolled out sort of continually? Yeah, the, the I think the ambition is it's a sustainable model. So we're going to be incubated as a company by an education provider, and they will then help give us the logistical base we need and some admin and backend support. My ambition, Toby, is to raise the money. I've raised 50% of the budget for the production element, not for the R&D. If I raise the rest of it, which I'm fairly confident I'm going to, um, I pass it on then. I, I'll, I'll walk away. I'll give it to someone else. And we'll commit to five years' worth of, of this, with the idea being that hopefully there isn't a pandemic every year and we can then do a traditional... A uh, more traditional approach to recruitment in that yeah, for this yeah. year we've said everyone's welcome and um, for the next year we're going to say everyone's welcome to apply but we're going to have some much more stringent criteria and and, and not because we want to be exclusive or elitist um, it will be entirely blind application process it's more about making sure we get the right type of person mm-hmm who's prepared to work hard and sacrifice and do the things that you need to do in order to have a career and take that opportunity and for us to learn from them as much as the other way around. So that's, that's what it's looking like. Um, it's speculative at the moment. We've done well, things have gone well, but they're not fully realized. Um, I've re- like I said, I've reapplied for arts council funding. If I don't get it, I don't get it. I'll find another way. Mm. Um, but it means that we need to delay because I will not have people working for free. Uh, there's, there's been enough of that over the pandemic. And at some point, adults have to take a stand and say, we're going to do this and you're going to be paid for it, but it's going to take longer for us to get to that position. I think there's a lot of, I'm going to do air quotes on a, on a, on a podcast, which I don't know how, quite how that works. So opportunity, maybe if I say it like that, opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so we know it's air quoted, which is which is just um, it's bullshit. Uh, am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Uh, yeah, you can get away with the one that one. Okay, um, it's nonsense. How that is that better? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> it's exploitation. Um, I'm seeing all of these online training providers suddenly appear. I'm thinking, okay, but this is pretty quick that you suddenly hear. How well thought through is this? I don't care what famous name is attached to it. Is this value for money? Are we offering real opportunity? You're asking people to give up precious resource when they may not have much. So what's the purpose behind this? It's the same with me not having a social media on this. Because also, I don't need to promote it in that respect. We can promote it via our own channel. So when does it become about someone else's ego or remuneration and not about helping people? So, like, I, I would all say with all these opportunities that arise, check it out. Who's doing it? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? How do you benefit from it if you've been asked to give money? And certainly, I think we're one of the very few that are actually paying people. But 
in order to pay people, I need to raise the finance. So that's, that's where we're, we're taking a much longer term view on this. People are being super nice because they're bored. And that's what I worry about, Toby. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm worried that in a couple of months' time, when people aren't as bored anymore, they forget the transparency and the openness that was around in May and June and so on. Yeah, I think that was interesting because um, we've been discussing probably most weeks on this podcast about the open and friendly nature of theatre currently and the fact that I think Sam mentioned last week, if you want to go and chat to someone about that experience, most people, especially now, are open to just sort of chatting and spent giving away their time, really. Have you found that people have been, you said fairly dropped in so far, that people have been fairly welcoming and encompassing? Oh, yeah, it's been great. And long may it last. What's COVID shown us? It's shown us that the arts is inherently fragile in a way that even more so than, than we maybe had realized. And there are some serious problems. There's some serious problems in the financial models. There's some serious problems in the inequality and diversity and things that we do need to tackle. And we do need to, we, we need to stop committing to tackling them and actually doing something about it. And part of that problem was elitism. And what I mean by that was this sense of hierarchy that you somehow don't matter or you're not relevant, or you're not deemed worthy enough to have a conversation with because of your status or what have you. Now, I'm not saying everybody's like that. Of course they're not. But a lot of people might be like that, and they're not even aware they're doing it. So, like, I don't see why, yet we're all busy. Everyone's busy. Um, I don't see why that means we need to be rude or not even rude, have apathy. I think for a lot of young people coming through, Toby, that's the problem. It's not even rejection. It's the apathy. It's the lack of anyone caring at all that is so heartbreaking because the arts were a safe place. That's where kids went to be safe, to express themselves, to be different and unique. And then we left into the adult world and it became somehow cruel and that's a choice that's not a necessity that's a choice people make they, they choose to be cruel they choose to be snobbish they choose to have a sense of superiority over someone else by virtue of a job title or so the way we measure success the way we analyze our journey has to change because we're, we're setting people up for failures that they shouldn't be set up for. There isn't, there's more than one measure of success. The West End is great. Um, I have no problem with it whatsoever, but it's not the be all and end all of existence. And we need to get away from that thinking that if, if you haven't done EastEnders, you've failed as an actor. It's a, that's what we need. We need to break away from that. We need to be able to show there's a wide range and not one thing is just not better than the other. It's just different. Uh, or it's better known does make it better and yeah i think it's in i think it's interesting because from my point of view and for probably the general rule is that everyone sort of expected whatever happens the west end will keep rolling on and it'll never get stopped by anything and actually what we're seeing now is theater slowly starts to re-emerge and reopen is that it'll be the smaller fringe theaters that will be able to be adaptable to work out a show and get work out there rather than the big western theaters that are going to look like being quiet until early next year for sure but i think the 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 fundamental difference we have in those is the financial model so you're at 503 and that's what 60 70 seats yeah yeah in a one meter social distancing there is no financial model that works that, that that's effective it's already virtually impossible to make money in those circumstances so you need to do six week runs at 40 to 70% capacity to break even. Like if you're, that's if you're paying union rates. So again, it, it, it's really interesting because we have to address these problems. We have to look at these problems and we have to go, right, what, how can we work this? And like you say, you, I think you're absolutely right. The smaller players and the independents who've always had to survive on nothing can now really show the way and innovate. My concern has always been they're not in the conversations. 
then they're not at that top table. So when support is forthcoming, who's representing them? Who's who's the one going, actually, look at Toby, look at this podcast, look at these things happening, look at the acting out model, the students suddenly creating these really interesting, immersive experiences. Look at all of that. Oh, they're not important enough for us to give a shit. It's this is where, like, does anyone actually think for one second that the National or the Globe was, or the Royal Albert Hall or the Ballet, the Opera House was going to go out of business? If someone could genuinely look me in the face um, and tell me that these buildings were going to be allowed to go bankrupt, um, I'll buy them a steak, or if they're Mm -hmm. vegan, something vegan. that someone was always going to look after them. Um, and that's great, good. But there's a lot of, like we said right at the beginning, Toby, there's a lot of other people out there that also we need to care. Yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting. Again, a conversation that we've had on this podcast is about this £1.57 billion is this lovely pot of money at the end of the rainbow. And it's still, I think, unsure or unclear how that dissipates i i've said repeatedly on this podcast it's clear that the people that have given us the money have gone we don't really know where it needs to go here's some money look after it uh deal with it and put it where it needs to go but it's again you say i'm relying on those the people that have that power to make sure it actually filters down and dissipates through well, they've traditionally been very bad at doing that over the years, mm-hmm. filtering money down. And suddenly these things get absorbed in core costs. And before you know it, you're giving out 250 quid here and there to your mates. And again, I've seen this in action. I know firsthand this is something that happens. Um, there is an inequality in that as well. So yeah, the system is not perfect. Of course it's not. And I'm not offering a solution either, by the way. So here's me bleating about it, but yeah. I'm not going, this is how we should do it. Because um, I'll be equally as biased to my own network and, and, and what have you. But I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there's a huge amount of privilege, that there is a huge amount of hierarchical structure, and there are networks which just support each other. We need to acknowledge the fact that, I mean, people, I saw people thanking um, Oliver Dowden on social media for doing his job. So don't thank him. I'm so absolutely not doing his job late and being forced into it, lying about having thought through. I remember the tweet when it came out and they were like, yeah, we've thought through, we've been talking for weeks about how to do this. Well, then why three months later is it not happened yet in any sort of coherent form? It's because you're, you're talking nonsense. If you said, Toby, you said to me at the beginning of March, we need to make a choice right now. We need to protect the NHS and we need to protect schools and jobs. And we're going to prioritize some industries over others. I would be bitterly upset, but I could cope with it. The fact is that there's been this, again, this dangled carrot of hope that has slowly rotted away as furlough starts to reduce. So then you've got pension contribution and national insurance contribution suddenly recurring which is why you've seen so many redundancies just before August, because that's when that started to hit payroll. Um, the realities of that, the impact of that, if you're in front of house and you were, you were surviving off of this, what do you do? You know what, Cameron McIntosh is going to be all right. He'll be fine. I'm, I'm not going to start GoFundMe. Uh, but, but there are other people there that desperately need this help. I can't save everyone. I get. I, I understand that. I really do, and I'm not. I'm not sitting here going to espouse um, the little red book or or, or 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 sort of the general principles of Marxism. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to say that we do need a fairer society, and we do need to fight for the rights of the smaller, mid-scale players, the fringe venues. Today, just now, I just retweeted for the the Camden um, fringe main venue, etc. It's a great space. They're in trouble courtesy of what, what, what I saw online. Mm. This is a venue that has, like the Latchmere, oh, Latchmere, shit, my age, mm. uh, the 503, has done over the years, is provide opportunity for people. 
their first entry steps, that the place they can go to, a place they can access. And these places are going to die unless we, unless we help them. This isn't serious dire straits now. So I'm ranting, Toby. Here I am no, ranting, great. ranting away. But it, it's true. This is what we need to... So, yeah, that money needs to be properly accounted for. And th- there has to be at least some discussion about the broadness of delivery. And these things are happening, but I don't know if they're happening with any of the right people. Mm. This, is, this is my real, real worry about it. Are, are they talking to people from a v- diverse range? I, I really hope that they do, but I'm not involved in those circles. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Uh, I read an article the other day that was talking about the snooker at the Crucible Theatre. And obviously there are people in the audience not masked, distanced but not masked. And the irony of if they, they you put on a show in that theatre, uh, which was two people playing snooker, that wouldn't be allowed to happen currently in the way it did. Um, so I think a lot of it stems from, for you personally, as a question that I've asked a lot of guests, I'll ask it to you as well. Would you feel comfortable going into a theatre if you felt the right precautions were taking place now? Are you happy with the state of which the country has control of everything going on? Would you, yeah, would you trust going back into a theatre now as an audience member? No. And I'll tell you why, because I know how uh, some theatres run. It depends, it depends which theatre you're talking yeah. about. Um, there are some venues I wouldn't go into regardless of whether there was a pandemic or not, <laughs> because they're death traps. Uh, yeah, I, I've just written a 68-page risk assessment, and I've written a 20-page guide to that 68-page risk assessment in order to do rehearsals and put a show on in, indoors um, mm. with, with singing and musical instruments and all the rest of it. It, it exists. I think the, the way that theatre has been placed in such an odd place, position mm. in this is, I find that bizarre. You can, like you say, you can sit on a plane for 14 hours. You can do all of You can go to the pub and get hammered and hang around the streets, but you can't go and see a, a play somewhere it, I, I find it really really bizarre I, i'm not a big one for conspiracy theories because i think they inevitably lead to very dark conclusions but <laughs> i say but i've heard from a number of sources that the prevailing thinking in the current government is that the arts are a predominantly left-wing movement that causes headaches and this is a bit of vengeance and that we deserve it i i don't know if that's true or not i like to think it's not i like to think people just just don't see us as a priority because they're having to think about lots and lots and lots of other things that's what i like to think but i I suspect there might be some truth in it yeah no i think i always go back to education on that point and the promotion of quite rightly because they are important stem subjects and the slow withdrawal of arts and drama degrees and classes from schools is always a good telltale sign of priority and i get that obviously it's a pandemic and we need doctors and nurses and all of the care professionals to help but yeah i definitely would probably agree with some of that in sense of it just doesn't seem like but then you'll go and look at an empty picture in soho and all the restaurants shutting down there and then there's always the argument that but hospitality has also been badly hit from mm. this. Like, like we, we, we seem to have been quite the marginalised sections. And I think the point's been made countlessly by people far more eloquent than I am. But all the Netflix and Amazon and streaming and books and films and everything that is a form of entertainment and escapism when people desperately needed it, guess where it came from? came from theatre originally. That's where it was sourced from. It came from art and artists. And the re- we have a problem in the arts where actually I think we, we are often our own worst enemies. We, we can be seen as churlish and squabbling and snooty and out of touch. The, 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 I think there's a perception issue that exists with, within that as well, that we have to address ourselves. Um, that people look at the problems that, up there and they're right to look at the problems that are there and they're right to go well actually you guys need to sort your own house out and i I think they're correct you can't as a community go you've got to help us you've got to help us you've got to help us and we're not helping ourselves either um so i think that, that there is something in that 
But the way we have been systematically abandoned and in some ways actively screwed over, I mean, use of language that Boris was doing at the beginning, which meant theatres couldn't shut. Mm. But they were empty. But we couldn't get the insurance because of the language she'd used. And it's like, now, is that deliberate? Did someone say, please say these words because we need to protect the insurance companies? Do, do yeah. you know what I mean? And I don't know. I have no idea. I know that Dominic Cummings decided to take a half hour drive because he couldn't see with his child in the car. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I know that happened. And I know that people like that have a lot of influence over policy. Um, and they don't like the arts very much by all accounts. Mm. Um, no, it's very interesting. I think the big one that stuck out for me that I saw uh, on my social media shared was a yeah Oliver Dowden tweet talk, calling it a hobby. Oh, but he's so patronising, and you see this is the problem. Is it, and this is the problem with, with politicians. You put someone in charge of a department who has zero understanding of what that means. Like I think he likes cricket or something. I don't know. I genuinely don't really care. Um, I expect someone in that position then to be able to do a bit of research, just a little bit of research and a little bit of work and have some human empathy which is what has been seriously lacking um yeah i think to be as factual as possible i can direct quote the thing that i found which is uh, uh he tweeted i know singing is an important passion and pastime for many people it was part of the statement regarding reopening theater and it's, arts in general it's it's just and you think th- th- i mean that's another ten thousand jobs gone mm. And, th- and that is the human price we pay for ignorance and arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the price we pay. I think that comes back to, again, this sort of 1.5 million pot. I think there's just no one in the position to organize it that has an in-depth knowledge enough of no. how the industry works and how it all is intertwined. Because I think people see a theater show, they see the people on stage, they see people giving them refreshments in the interval and go cool that is that's a theater show forgetting the people that make the costumes the people that make the set the restaurant that you go to pre-show the pub or restaurant you go to after the show every every intricacy and cross ecosystem that theater yeah. sort of thrives from really the, the fringe theater that provided the first opportunity for that show to be seen or developed or for the creative teams to work um, the, the training providers that helped them, the theatre and education and applied theatre, people that employed them through difficult periods, all, all of it, you're absolutely right. It is a complex ecosystem that, that isn't trickled down like people think there is, that doesn't happen in the way that it should happen. And we need to, uh, I mean, when Theatres UK were, were talking to the DCMS and the, the, the Affairs Committees, they're saying, Let's, we need to support the system. We can't afford to, start, to scrap it and start again. I, I disagree with them. I think we can afford to scrap it and start again. Because it's wrong. It's broken. Um, it's economically shoddy at best. The levels of um, economic understanding, so, so people's literacy, in finance isn't good enough. They're not being taught it, they need to learn these things so they can run buildings properly, so they understand how to survive in a commercial economy. And we need to look at diversifying, we need to look at the equality aspects of it, we need to look at the way we're funding art, who's doing it, how they're doing it, the fact it's a complete lottery. Under 15,000 pounds, arts funding is a literal lottery. it depends on how many other applications go to that group of people who are randomly assigned, who may not be in the specialism. Um, is that the best system? R- really? We, we can't do any better than that. There, there can't be anything for nuance. Uh, the, the system, Grantium, I don't know if you ever had the mispleasure of using this appalling system that they've created, the website for the Arts Council. It's truly horrible to use. It is a terrible interface. It's so counterintuitive. And you think that artists who often are visual thinkers are being forced into using this substandard 
appalling um, vehicle to fund art that is completely nonsensical. Um, half the time you're making stuff up because you need to balance the books and you need to do this and reinvent very simple procedures by flower, using flowery language. And then some people say, don't use flowery language, use emotive language. And some people are going, yeah, everything should be highlighted. And, oh no, it should all be bullet points. It turns out no one knows. Um, I've spoken to loads of different people and I've given lots of different, been given lots of different opinions. But that in itself is a problem. That, that right there, you've got an issue um, that, that needs to be addressed. So yes, maybe we need to take a longer look at that and how it affects our survival and our future and look at other countries and other models and see if there may be possibly the island that gave us Shakespeare might not necessarily be the best at this mm. anymore. It's a bit like football. Yeah, we invented it, but we're not any good at it anymore. So maybe it's time we learnt from the Germans or the French or the Italians. I'm just randomly saying because I don't actually know what their systems are like. I just assume they're better. Yeah, I mean, it's worth exploring. We don't yeah, necessarily know how it works, but yeah, it, it's always learning. I mean, this industry is always, as it is for a lot of industries, but it's all about constantly learning and constantly growing and moving with the times. And yeah, I, I think there are sections sections of our industry that don't move with those times maybe as well or haven't moved as well and this hopefully is a bit more of a jump start wake up call to some of that section that it, things need to change now because it isn't sustainable i, I really really hope so mm. I, I, i'm a desperately optimistic person i know it doesn't sound like <laughs> but I am, i'm actually genuinely optimistic and i i i have faith i have faith in the inherent goodness of people and especially in our industry and i believe we can make the changes once we release the shackles of fear that have dominated for such a long time mm. that we can we can we can take fear away and, and we can liberate people's voices and allow them to express themselves without fear of repercussion or exclusion ostracization ostracization is that a word i don't know yeah i think it's, so it sounds good toby so we're going to stick with it um, yeah and we can do that and maybe maybe it's time for people like me who've been around for a bit to move on maybe maybe it's time maybe it's time for other people to to leave and to allow new people like yourself to have more opportunity maybe it's time that we share a little bit of power yeah no that sounds great um well that sounds great with you saying we should have more power i'm definitely not going to say that's a bad thing um but yeah i think one thing that you do do uh, as part of your work is encourage people from different backgrounds into theater um so how important do you think it is to encourage people from different backgrounds and what stories do you think they offer that aren't currently being told by theater that maybe theatre misses out on because of some of the elitism and selections that has been made in the past um, that you think people from different backgrounds will offer? If we don't diversify, we are done. That's, I think that's really that bleak. We have to diversify our audiences and our uh, stories. We are in trouble, regionally huge trouble. Um, we have to get new blood in. We have to get new generations interested. Now, Panto is often the routine for a lot of people for theatre. So if that disappears for this year, first of all, there's the financial implications of that, which will be enormous to a lot of venues, but also the, the, the developmental aspects of that. So I, I fight for this because it's important. We, we have to have a diversity of... It cannot just be me. I'm a white middle-class man. It can't just be me all the time. And... We need to find ways to not commit to, not research, not hashtag, actually do. Not, not even talk about, do. And, and make those changes when no one's watching. Mm. Make those changes when everything is back to normal and people are worried about their everyday. And that's so important. If we don't get authentic diversity, a, 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 a smorgasbord there's a good use of smorgasbord a smorgasbord of different voices and ideas 
we are done. It will eventually homogenize into this paste of nonsensical crap and everything will be Arthur like they finally allowed some changes in Arthur Miller. That's a perfect example of w w where things needed to change much sooner. They've taken far too long for those changes to go. The fact that the National Theatre cannot have at least the 50-50 gender split still beyond them. I remember six years ago, I got in a lot of trouble for six years ago. I criticized them because they're saying in five years, we are going to have a 50-50 gender split. And I was like, why? Why is that going to take you five years to mm. do? What, what, what? And it's six years since they said that. Still hasn't happened. They announced a 90% male season. It's like, what, why is this difficult? I've, I've had training providers come up to me and go, oh, can you help us find black creatives? I'm like, yes, but why can't you find them? What, and why, why aren't we asking the question of why do you not already have this in place? People need to stop hiding from this. If they turn around and say, we don't know what we're doing, we need to fix it, help. People will help them. But Toby, if we don't have that, if we don't have that diversity, uh, we will simply wither away into nothingness as our audiences grow smaller and older. How do you think, do you, I mean, this is a very big question, sort of going back to the how would you drip through the money down, but how, what do you think theatre can do or needs to do to make it more diverse? It needs to be stop being so lazy. Honestly, it's such a lazy business that, that there's, there's so much outdated practice the lack of HR, lack of recruitment, lack of transparency, um, hierarchical structures that, that make no sense, um, appointments and looking at the way nepotism is rife within the industry. We need to hold a mirror up to it and, and, and really look at this. We're not good. We don't, we don't do anything. We don't do, that's not true. Actually, I, I, I'm going to rephrase that. That's not true. There has been change. But my God, it's been painful and it's been a painful journey to get there. And it's not coming from the right sources. The people at the top should be doing this because it's the right thing to do, not because they're being called out. This is what gets to me is we're having to call everyone out. The, I don't know, the, 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 the ways people don't answer emails or they don't respond to things or acknowledge things and... Um, the, the blindness to change that needs to happen. The fact that David Hare is doing a show about his lockdown experience, staring rough finds, and what? Really? This is no one cares. And people will point out, oh, they are doing other things in that season. I'm sure they are, but they could do so much more. They could do so much more. I don't have the resources these people have. So. Why can't they help with the resources they have? They should be doing more. So yes, how do we change it? We just do it. We stop, we stop talking about it. We stop having endless research and committees about it. Stop appointing diversity officers and actually diversify. Just, it, it, it infuriates me because it, it is so often just given lip service. Oh yes, no, of course, and we're gonna talk about it. Thank you so much for raising your concerns. We, we take this really seriously. We're going to appoint a committee to look at what's happening, and, so, and then what? 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 You're going to? This is what's happening. Mm. All of your board are white. There you go. Fix it. Um, that's and it. it's not. It's not hard. No, it's there is really not a lack not. of people. Even talking about gender split, there is not a lack of female creatives that are. Exactly. Like I'm doing a show at a drama school and I have a 50-50 gender split and, and minority split of top end industry professionals. Wasn't difficult. Took me three emails and a bit of research online. Ta-da! Done. No one asked me to do it. I didn't need to be told that this was the right thing to do. It just is the right thing to do. And it is not difficult if you're not f afraid of giving up a little bit of power than passing it on to someone else. And the problem is that we don't live in a society that has altruism. And therefore, we need to force this. But my terrible that the arts, the, the safe space, the place that I, as a weird ginger kid, was accepted, could be so backward in so many ways. 
that other industries aren't. And do you think this is a top-down thing that needs to happen or a bottom-up? Oh, do you God, think it's a... something that will change from the bottom and will slowly filter its way up the industry? Or do you think wholesale changes need to be made at the top for the entire industry to change? Wow, what a good question. I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Um, I, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you the answer to that, but I have not a clue whether that would need to go from the bottom up. What do you think? I don't know. I think because... I think there is more of it at sort of lower sort of smaller fringe venues and smaller companies work a lot are work I think are working a lot harder than probably the people at the top are. Yes, I, I tend uh, to. And I think they're expecting that eventually the right shoots will come up from the lower reaches or lower reaches to, but like the fringe level theatre yeah. that eventually or to sort of all change without them really having to try um i do use, <laughs> i do use football as an analogy quite a lot on the podcast because mm. that's a brother passion of mine and it's very similar there's been a discussion recently about the lack of some people at the top of the premier league and the football pyramid wanting to relinquish power to allow a new generation to take over um who might necessarily have fresher and better ideas i do think that there is parallels in this industry that for want of a reason they are both entertainment industries at the end of the day um and i do i do see similarities between some people not necessarily being willing to share the power at the top i think but this is the problem is they want change but they want you to change mm. and, and and not anyone else not them yeah so we want change so you should change um so they'll reap the benefits of other people's hard work and passion joy for new ideas new concept and package it up um uh, as something that they've done which they haven't and i think yeah look at you look at football football's a perfect analogy for it because you've got such a divide in the premier league as an example you've got three divisions within the premier league so you have the top five or six a whole bunch of mid-scale teams and then and then the bottom, which are interchangeable with the top of the championship, give or take. And of course, you can sit there and develop a system and develop a player and just like Sheffield United, a perfect example. So great, they went up and really surprised people. They're not doing that again next year. They'll go down or they'll go down the year after, just like Bournemouth, because they can't compete. They can't compete financially. Um, the, the, the idea that... They can compete punching above their weight at that level for that length of time. It's not possible. You run out of steam eventually. You run out of ideas. You, your best players get poached. It, you, you, you can't continue that form. So you need to choose then. Am I going to be comfortable being a top-end championship team or a lower-end Premier League team? Mm. Or is my ambition to be mid-table? And is that an ambition? Is finishing 11th an ambition? I don't know. Is it? I, it maybe. But then you're, you're saying that essentially between Tottenham Hotspur in 6th and Liverpool in 1st, unless an exceptional set of circumstances happen, no one is breaking into that. We're the same in the arts. We're exactly the same. That between certain venues and certain companies and certain organizations, they have an oligopoly of resource and funding and network, and they perpetuate that. So imagine it's a club, right? And they want you to queue up outside the club desperately, but you're not allowed in they want you to be queuing up they might let you in but you're not that's that's what it is yeah i think it sort of seems like the whole sort of diversity issue is that they're they don't want to risk anyone bringing anyone in that isn't going to work so they wait for the cream of the crop from below to rise to the top and then they can then take that person and take the glory for necessarily advancing their career yeah i, I also, think i've seen a few times and also they want people that are white but happen to have black skin they, they're so threatened by the concept of other thinking that you've got to fit within the system and it's like this is the point we're trying to make the system is wrong 
The system is broken. We can't just keep trying to pigeonhole everyone into a set of principles or ways of working or ways of thinking or ways of communicating, saying we want diversity, but it has to be on our terms. And it has to be like this. And you have to have achieved this. I'm not saying you walk up to the first person of color you see in the street and go, here's a job running the National Theater. Yay. You've got to obviously be qualified for your job. But the fact of the matter is, it, it's like when I hear, I hear like white guys going, oh, we're being marginalized. It's like, what are you talking about? How are we being, oh, you mean you lost out on one role out of the 10 million that exist for you? Come on, come on, so behave. And that we need to get away from that fear. That, that again, it's fear and a lack of understanding and, and intimidation, not, not to put everyone through the system so that they meet our standards of what we believe is right or wrong, but that we are learning from new thoughts. Like you were saying, we're learning from new ideas, new thoughts, new managers coming through. Not the same old, same old tried and tested system that forces everyone to go through and become the same thing. I think that is where the lazy thing comes from as well, is that I appreciate everyone that works at the top of those circles probably is qualified and has the necessary experience to do the role, but very much have been able to walk through various doors, I'm sure, through the parts of their career. It helps. I mean, like, I remember one, one theatre where I was supporting a new writing scheme, and the person that won it was the offspring of a very famous person. Mm. Now, I don't want to have a go at them because it's not their fault they're the offspring of a very famous person. However, I am a little worried that maybe they have had some opportunities or some doors have opened that might not necessarily have been open for other people. Mm. And if that is happening enough in enough places, and I think it is, that causes a problem. I know people that are directing shows and uh, by famous playwrights and theatres named after them that are the children of very famous directors and haven't necessarily made their bones. Um, that's an old mafia expression. Um, they haven't gone through the system in terms of that type of development. They're fast-tracked. It's a really difficult one because if it's your, your kid, would you look after them? Of course you would. So I understand it, but don't tell me it's right. Mm. Um, and it's impossible then to gauge it because you're saying there's no way now of measurably being able to say, are you the appropriate person for that job? I, I know that if I'd gone to Cambridge and Eton, I'd probably be directing at the National or some such, because that's the history of the venue. Not everyone deserves, we're not owed anything. Let me, I'll rephrase that, not, not the deserve is the wrong word. We're not owed anything. So fine, okay, I, I'm not owed shit and I don't want it. I will take what I need to take and I'll earn what I need to earn. And I need a bit of luck and hard work and skill. But what I can't take is unfairness. And it's like, I get that I'm not as good as, or I get that I just didn't do the right application, or I get that. But when it's like I had no chance at all, at all, and I had this recently when I went, when I went out for a job um, because I want some stability. So I was looking for a sort of more full-time job, and it was a head of a drama thing. And I, I spoke to the person doing the employment, and I asked them, I said, Genu genuinely, I need, I need, am I what you're looking for? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, cool. I've, I've got no problem with that then. I say, fine, that's great. You, you, you know what you're looking for. You're actively seeking people from a certain background. Good. <laughs> that's, but you didn't waste my time. And I think that's where people get upset, is, is where they feel like I'm in the running for something I'm never going to be in the running for. Um, I don't know. It's... It's, it's really tough. You sacrifice so much. You give, this is a calling, Toby. It's not a, it's not a pastime, um, it's not a hobby, as, as despite what um, Mr. Dowden may think. 
and it's a calling so you sacrifice there's no wealth in theater of course there isn't maybe one percent are rich that's it most of us aren't um so within that to then have things which are so blatantly unfair and uneven and unrepresentative and same old people all the bloody time you're like then i can understand people getting upset and, and thinking well what's the point what is the point of this if it's always going to be does that make sense yeah yeah definitely um that's uh, yeah i'll move away i mean I, I don't know if we've necessarily answered any questions in this podcast and more, or just opened up more questions but i mean i need more episodes so the more questions we get asked the more episodes we'll need answer we'll need to answer them i suppose um but i'm going to move towards the sort of final two closing mm -hmm. questions that we do each week yeah. to every guest um yeah that we ask everyone um, and see what you think i mean they are two very broad questions again mm -hmm. so this is more conversation and probably more questions that we'll pose that won't get answered <laughs> but that's great that's what we want we want people to discuss things as well so that's perfect um so firstly again the broadest question of them all gazing into a crystal ball where can you see theater being in 12 months time hopefully open as most people on this podcast have said but where is what, how far do you think we can get within these 12 months? This could be about generally getting a show on or just evolving theatre and everything we sort of discussed in the podcast so far. On the moon. Okay. <laughs> uh, this, is, this should be the next stage. Is I think we should be using science to, to travel to the moon and put shows on the moon. Um, I, I don't know, and I, I don't think anyone actually knows, which is fine. Some of us can guess. And we, we were talking about asking questions. That's a good thing, challenging and asking questions. I think it's a really interesting time. There's going to be some real innovation and then some lots of quite reserved conservatism as well from some people that aren't going to take any risks at all. And there'll be some people that take all the risks ever. And within that, we'll find some sort of balance. Um, I sincerely hope the people that have entered into the world of outdoor theater for a season will respect the people that have already been doing it for a very, very long time. And there isn't, there's either continued relationships and development or there isn't treading on other people's toes that have developed that. I hope Edinburgh comes back um, better than it has been over the years. Um, I ran a venue in Edinburgh for many years and it's, it, it, yeah, it, it we're very, very close to sacrificing the, the goose that laid the golden egg in Edinburgh. Yeah. It's, I think it probably, it's not a good thing for the economy and for lots of people. Obviously, I understand that, but maybe it's not a bad thing it had a pause mm. just for one year so that we can have a little think about how much is that wine? Mm. What are you charging for a ticket? Um, and think about who does this actually serve now? Does it yeah. is it for Jimmy Carr to come up for two weeks and hoover up ten thousand tickets and drink some shit wine in a shit pop up bar and surrounded by wankers? Is that really what we want? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that look, I I really hope there will be room for innovation mm. and excellence and failure and growth and learning. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did a whole discussion on Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. And I think there's, I was, there's lots of questions. Yeah. Again, that's another one. There's, again, lots of questions. Um, but no, I really like that. That was a really nice sort of conceptual view of theatre. There's in an the old joke, Toby, that um, how, do you make, how do you make a small fortune in Edinburgh? Go for it. You go up there with a large one. <laughs> That is, yeah. Unfortunately, that is true. That's think, pretty much Edinburgh. Which yeah. Is, yeah, that is Edinburgh. We can sum that up Edinburgh up in a nutshell, I think, in that quote. Yeah. Um, cool. The final question for the podcast is, what's, again, one piece of advice you would give to new theatre professionals? If you could narrow it down to one, I don't know if there's a mantra you go into every show with, or just one piece of golden advice you would pass on, mm. if you could. That's good. That's good. I always say the same thing, which you don't need anyone's permission like unless you're using guns and shit and then you need to tell the police but, but it, it, you, you tell a story you'll tell it well have fun um, you don't need to apologize for your existence we're all, we're all someone once said someone much cleverer than i said uh we're talking about the storm simply saying we're all in the same same boat as a no we're not we're all in the same storm 
but we're not all in the same boat. So do the best with the boat that you've got. There are islands and lighthouses. I'm going to take this analogy. I'm going to run with it now. <laughs> um, and and, and there's, there's all these things out there. Um, but you're the master of your own destiny. So, yeah, just don't, don't need permission. Cool. No, that is great. I think that's a lovely closing statement for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. For the Thank you, Toby. This, this is really cool. No, that's great. Thank you for coming on and taking the time out. That is episode number six of the Beginner's Call Theatre podcast. That is episode number six of the Beginner's Call Theatre podcast. Thank you again for joining me this week. I think it was a really great discussion from a voice that we haven't really heard from yet. So I think it was a really some really great insights in this episode. Once again, do remember to check out the Thornhill Virtual Worldwide Fringe Festival and follow us on all our social media that now includes LinkedIn. We'll be back next week for our penultimate episode of the series, but I guarantee you we are already working hard on stuff that's new and exciting for Series 2. So keep an eye on all our social media for new, exciting information coming about the podcast. But apart from that, do remember to keep safe, keep looking after each other, and keep being creative.